Welcome to Ottawa Valley Community Church, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share His love. Hey, we're in the middle of our uh, series uh, that we're calling the One Series. And what it's, uh, it's designed to do is to uh, enable us to look at some of the core ideas in the Christian faith that really unite us across denominations and within our own body, within our own community, uh, that allow us to sort of come together. We've been structuring this series uh, from Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verses 4 and 6, uh, which is just a little mini-creed that uh, is rec- was recognized by the early church, just written in Paul's letter to the Ephesians as he's calling for unity. He says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all. And we've just been going through that creed, talking about each of those ones. We've been actually working backwards, um, starting with the Father and thinking about entering into the kingdom through baptism, thinking about faith. Uh, last week, we looked at one Lord. And this week, uh, we're uh, looking at the idea of this one hope. That's what we want to explore today. I think in a moment when our culture is in great need of hope, um, we, what does it mean to have Christian hope? What does it mean to uh, have uh, something in the midst of the darkness, something in the midst of the challenge that uh, changes your perspective, that changes the way you navigate uh, what it is uh, before you? Um, when we look at the early church and we look at early Christians, uh, one of the things that we see is that uh, they had just a remarkable joy and a remarkable ability uh, to go through difficult circumstances, persecution, famine, hunger, struggle, uh, disease, sickness, all kinds of different things, prison, and still come out with with hope. They were able to live these incredibly uh, radical and generous lives. And the question for us is, well, where was their hope founded? It wasn't like it was just that they were going to be saved and, uh, and not experience uh, punishment for their sins. It wasn't just that. There was something more. There was something in the resurrection of Jesus that uh, brought them uh, to a, a unique perspective on how they lived their lives. Uh, what we're going to do in terms of tackling this uh, question of hope, which is really founded in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, is we're going to look at it in two sections. The first thing we're going to do this week is we're just going to survey what the Bible says about what happens uh, after we die. We're just going to take a little survey and look at it. Uh, just This is going to be a bit of an unusual message compared to what we've sometimes done. Sometimes I'll take one passage. Any one of the texts that we could look at today, I, I could write a whole sermon based on those few verses and be delighted to do so. But every now and then you have to just zoom out and look at a concept or idea in the scriptures and just survey it sort of from front to back and understand how things fit together. And so that's what this message will be. It's going to be just a ton of scripture reading and some little reflections on some of these pieces, but we're not going to take a deep, deep dive into any one particular piece. Uh, The starting point for many of us, uh, based on a kind of a simple uh, pop culture Christian understanding of what faith is or of what what hope is or of what happens uh, sort of when we die, is represented, Christine's going to put an image on the screen there, 
we, we see it in a very simplistic way. And again, it, it's not super helpful to be simplistic. The Bible isn't simplistic about this. But I think for the sake of just a broad discussion and understanding the big picture and zooming out, we're going to just make it as simple as a few simple diagrams. But we see our lives right here, right now, as the present reality, what we experience in the day-to-day. Uh, we have to eat. We have to have a roof over our heads. We wear clothes. We navigate the world as it is. We have relationships and friendships and all of that. And then as we give our hearts to Jesus and accept what he's done for us on the cross, when our lives end, and they inevitably do, uh, death uh, seems to be something we haven't cured, um, we, we go to heaven. And that's sort of our very simple, basic understanding of it. But when we think about heaven and we think about what it is, we have all kinds of different images about it that, that float into our heads. Uh, you know, so maybe some of you imagine angels. How many of you imagine those little cherubs like floating around with the diapers on and the arrows, right? Like we imagine clouds. We imagine streets of gold. Uh, we imagine all kinds of different things like that. Uh, just imagine it being a paradise. Um, but then there are a whole bunch of questions that we have as we think about heaven. Uh, we ask ourselves things, and these are some of these are serious questions that we grapple with. Um, is there consciousness, or, or will it be like sleeping? Like, will I be awake and alert and aware of what's going on around me? Uh, will I be singing the same chorus over and over again? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come, along with the elders. And like, would that be boring to just sing that again and again and again for eternity? Some of us ask that question. I have, a, I have some thoughts on that, actually, and I think I'd be pretty happy to be uh, noticing the glory and beauty of Jesus for all of eternity, and I would never see the end of it. So I, I'm not in that category of those who would complain about that being boring. Um, but uh, will my pets be there? I've been asked that question a number of times. Is my dog going to heaven? Right? Um, it, where, what, what's Aunt Mabel doing right now? Can she see me? Can she see what's going on? Can, 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 can I talk to her? How does that all work, right? Uh, will I still be married? Uh, what will heavenly reward look like? These are all just sort of questions that, that come with that sort of nebulous, basic understanding that we start here in our present reality and we, we look towards that future. A possible negative outcome of, of that simplistic view is that we view uh, uh, our time here on earth as simply something to be escaped, something to... Uh, to, to jump out of, something that we will just be delivered from and something we will be just extracted from, that this life here doesn't really matter that much, uh, that it's not really important. What happens in our short years here on earth are completely disconnected from what happens in heaven. And, and that'd be kind of Christianity that I think uh, basically we're fairly familiar with. But what I want us to see is a fuller picture that isn't of just escape. I want us to see a fuller picture of biblical hope and, and help us to understand how that hope is connected to our present reality. Uh, in doing about that, I'm still going to uh, it's not about escape. I'm still going to be uh, talking uh, about it in a fairly simplistic way. There are lots of questions that come up. There are questions about raptures and millennium and, and tribulations and dispensations and all of those things. Uh, but what I want to talk about is what Christians basically from many different streams actually agree on, what they're actually aligned on. Uh, the image that's going to come up on our screen is a picture just of my desk. And uh, you'll see that there's a stack of books there over on your right. Those books are all um, 
systematic theologies. They're basically theology textbooks from various different streams of Christianity, and I, and I sort of collect them, and, and I would love to have many more of them because they're sort of a fascinating look at Christian theology from different perspectives. But you have something there that represents what, on average, most Baptists think about what goes on in, in theology and our understanding of God. There's a, a couple of reform books there that are sort of based around uh, what those who have a high uh, value on sort of a Calvinistic approach uh, believe uh, sort of Christian reform people or Dutch reform people would, would be oriented and be learning from a textbook like that. Uh, there's one there that is uh, called Foundations of Pentecostal Theology by a guy named Duffield Van Cleve, which would be the theology textbook that Pastor Ivan would have studied when he went through Bible school. Um, there's something there that represents sort of a more ecumenical approach, taking this understanding from a whole bunch of different places. Uh, there's one that sort of represents an, an Anglican approach. And, and what we want to do as we, as we look at this is look at what basically all of these groups sort of have in common. And we can add to the picture that's going to come on the screen uh, here, this, again, a very simple, oversimplified graphic. What, what we see here basically, again, overly simplified, represents what even Roman Catholics and Greek Orthodox basically believe. It's the common ground of Christianity. We live a present reality. We are saved through what Jesus did for us on the cross. Uh, there is a time of waiting. Something happens between when we die and when the resurrection comes. Uh, the resurrection happens... Um, and then somehow uh, a new heaven and a new earth come, and we live an embodied existence in the new heaven and the new earth. And my guess is, is that if you just think of your basic understanding of Christianity and what it is, uh, you live mostly over in this sort of blue, red, cross, present reality, cross heaven section. And, and it's safe to say you haven't thought as much about resurrection, new heaven, new earth. But that's not what's really been familiar to us. But what I want to bring to us is the idea that understanding that we are to be resurrected, we are to have uh, resurrected bodies and live in an embodied existence in a newly remade creation, redeemed by God, will have a significant impact on how we live in our present reality. And if we have that understanding and if we add it to what we, we believe and if we add a little bit of weight to it as the scriptures do, and I'll make a case for that, um, it's going to affect how we live in the day-to-day. -day. So these are the basic elements of, of the story. Um, this is basically how it goes. And we're just going to break it into pieces and look at this heaven piece, the resurrection piece, the new heaven and the new earth, um, and look at some of the scriptures on them and just survey them. And, uh, and take from that um, a foundation for our conversation next week, which will be more oriented around the practical application, what this means for our lives. So let's just begin to survey um, our thoughts on, on these items. So let's, let's focus for a minute here right in this heaven section. And we're just going to leave this on the screen for the most of the talk. What happens uh, between when we die and when the resurrection comes. What is that all about? The scriptures doesn't give, don't give us a lot about that. We have images in our heads of clouds and cherubs and you know, diaper-wearing babies with 
bows and arrows and all of those kinds of things, right? Uh, streets of gold and, and all of that, right? Uh, we have those images in our head. The Bible doesn't really give us all that. And most of those like really crystal clear images of what heaven looked like come from uh, the end of the book of Revelation are actually talking about the new heaven and the new earth. And so they've sort of been transported in our minds into this picture of what heaven is. What we actually have about heaven, uh, N.T. Wright uh, says it like this. He says, heaven is God's dimension of present reality. This is what we experience. This is our um, dimension of, of reality. But heaven is God's dimension of present reality. And so we just have a whole bunch of scriptures, and we're just going to go through a few of them that sort of speak to this. But there's some commonalities there for us to look at. Um, one, um, there's this idea that for at least a short time, our body stays in the ground and our spirit goes to be with God. Um, left by itself, left without the resurrection, that's Platonism. Um, but when we consider the resurrection and the coming of the new heaven, the new earth, we get a biblical picture. But for the short term, our body stays a go and, and our spirit goes. We see this in all kinds of places in the Old Testament. Uh, Ecclesiastes 12, 7 is one. The dust returns to the ground it comes from. The spirit returns to God who gave it. The dust returns to the ground, the spirit returns to God who gave it. Uh, we go to be with God. Uh, we have a picture uh, from Jesus' teaching uh, on, of a story of Lazarus and the rich man interacting in heaven. Jesus is sort of giving us a window into what that interaction is like. Um, but there seems to be some kind of consciousness and some kind of conversation. And in this particular text, there seems to be a conversation between someone who is in torment and someone who is uh, in bliss. And so we don't know what that looks like, but that's just all the scripture gives us is just a little glimpse into it. We'll see we have loads of questions more than answers. In the story of the stoning of, Steve, of Stephen, he says, I, he, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God in Acts chapter 7, 56. So it seems like he was able to see into God's present reality and get a glimpse of what that was like. Uh, somehow he was able to see the heavenly throne and able to see uh, God in that, in that space interacting with Jesus. Uh, later on, we have the story of Paul. And Paul is writing, he does this both to the uh, church in Philippians and to the Corinthian church. And he's talking about serving and he's talking about how hard his life is. And he says, hey, listen, I would kind of rather go and be with Jesus, but for your sake, I'm going to stay and do what I'm doing. Right, uh, Philippians uh, chapter uh, 1, verse 23, my desire is to part and be with Christ, for that is far better. Paul's like, I would kind of like to jettison out of here. I kind of like to get out. Like, I'm, I'm kind of done with this. But for your sake and for the sake of the gospel, I'm going to come and I'm going to pour out my life in this space and I'm going to give myself here. Um, we have Jesus talking about it in John chapter 14. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'd go to prepare a place for you? So Jesus is saying, you know, give us a picture. What is it, like a hotel? <laughs> I don't know. Is it, is it a boarding house? Like, we don't know. We just know there's many rooms. So we have these little vague glimpses and these little images, but we know that there will be dwelling space for us there, Right? And then Jesus says to the thief beside him on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. So Jesus is seeing something of his interaction with the thief on the cross 
as being uh, in a place of goodness and, and a place that's great. We see something in the beginning of Revelation, I forgot to write down the reference, uh, where it seems like the saints, the martyrs, are looking down on earth and saying, hey God, when are you going to fix this? So there seems to be an awareness uh, on the part of the martyrs of some stuff that's going on down here. So these are sort of the pictures that we, we have. This is, but this is basically all the scriptures give us on heaven. So we know that this is a place of goodness. We know that this is a place of waiting. Um, the Hebrew mind, though, doesn't see this as being our eternity separated from our bodies. Um, the Hebrew mind looks back to the book of Genesis and looks back to God's original creation and says, hey, Adam and Eve in the garden, they were meant to live forever and walk in the garden and visit with me, and their bodies were not meant to wear out. It is sin entering into the world that's caused this. And so when we look at God redeeming the world, we know that he wants to get back to that original purpose. He wants to get back to that original design. Uh, the body was meant to last as long as your spirit. And that's what the resurrection is about. Uh, so Christian and Jewish theology sees this time of heaven, this time of death, as a temporary thing. Charles Spurgeon said it like this, very simply, anyone who is presently awaiting heaven, or sorry, is presently in heaven, is simply awaiting the resurrection. Anyone who's presently in heaven is simply awaiting the resurrection. Um, somebody else said it like this, I'm not sure who it was, I can't give them credit. Heaven is awesome, but it's not the end of the world. Right? Heaven's a good and great place, but it's not the end of our story. There's something more. There's, there, there's more of existence for us. Uh, and that leads us, of course, to our thinking of the resurrection, this sort of line here that's in, in yellow, simply and imperfectly represented. But what Christian theology believes, and this is what Jews have believed uh, for centuries and centuries before the time of Christ, there would come a time uh, when the Messiah would return, uh, we look at it as the moment of Christ's second coming, when the resurrection comes, and everybody is uh, brought back into a new embodied existence. Uh, the dead will raise, and the, those of us who live will have bodies that are glorified. Uh, we see this in, again, we're just going to survey the scriptures on this, just a short, small little sampling. 1 Peter 1, 3 to 5 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I mean, there's two sermons in that uh, little text there. But what, it, what we see is that because of the resurrection of Jesus, that that is meant to be something that we are ultimately to experience. Through the resurrection of Jesus, we have a living and present hope. We see that what happened to him, and we take from that that something similar is meant to happen to us, that there is something about his resurrection that secures for us an inheritance that is uh, imperishable, an inheritance that will last uh, in Romans chapter 6, verses 4 to 5, it says this, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. 
Because Christ was raised from the dead, we too might walk in newness of life. Because of what happened to him, we expect that it will happen to us. It says, uh, continues on in verse 5, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. An embodied resurrection, right? We have Jesus walking about on the face of the earth, interacting with the disciples in some body that was sort of recognizable but not recognizable, uh, making a fire and eating fish and saying, hey, Thomas, put your hands in my side. Uh, put your, your fingers uh, in, in my nail-scarred hands. Uh, let's talk together. Let's walk down the road to Emmaus. Let's have dinner. And showing up in rooms where they're talking and having a conversation with them. Somehow with a spiritual body that goes through the walls. Right? Something of a spiritual body. Something of an existence uh, that is, is temporal, is physical. In 1 Corinthians 15, 17 to 19. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we, we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Right? So the resurrection of Jesus uh, is a foundation uh, of our faith. And, and, and he wants us to, to know that those who have perished, uh, those who have uh, fallen asleep uh, it, and, and perished, that that's not the end of their story. That's not the end for them, that there is more, there is life. Uh, there is something hopeful. There is nothing to be pitiable about death because there's more than death. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 51 to 55. We shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? That's not just talking about us going to heaven when we die. Um, because we've been saved by the power of the cross. That is the foundation, that is the beginning, that is the entry point. But beyond that, we expect to have bodies that are made imperishable. Right now, my knee feels really perishable, right? How many of you have parts of your body that are feeling a little perishable right now? How many of you feel a little perishable when you walk outside in minus 27? I felt a little perishable at, uh, at uh, a memorial service a graveside earlier in this week. I was reading the scriptures, and, and one of my eyes actually was watering and actually froze shut while I'm trying to read the scriptures. My niece had two surgeries, and will probably have another one or two in my lifetime. These bodies that we live in are meant to be repaired and redeemed and made new and glorified. Uh, our hope is in a spiritual body, a physical spiritual body. When Paul uses that phrase, a spiritual body, earlier in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, 44, the language, spiritual body, when you and I hear that uh, with sort of our platonic thinking 
uh, thinking sort of based in uh, the philosophy of a philosopher born before the time of Christ named Plato, which sort of thinks that everything physical is bad and everything spiritual is good. When we hear a spiritual body, when we hear that language, we sort of imagine uh, something like, you know, Casper the Friendly Ghost, like we can sort of float out and go out and do our own thing. Maybe we've got a body like we've got right now, um, but it's sort of see-through. It's kind of transparent, maybe like Obi-Wan Kenobi in Star Wars, you know, when, when he's visiting with Yoda. Sort of imagine that's what it's, what it's like. But the Greek grammar, when Paul uses spiritual body, he, he's meaning a corporeal body, a physical body. And the word spiritual is describing that body. So a body that is fully body and a body that is fully spirit. And isn't that a beautiful reflection of what we see in Jesus, who is fully God and fully man? It's a little theological connection for us there. He's going to make us people who are fully human, but fully spiritually human. And something about that existence, uh, what theologians sort of say, it means that that's a preparation for this new heaven and new earth that's coming. So we'll be able to interact with a joined heaven and earth, seeing all that is spiritual and all that is physical all at once, God dwelling on earth with men, and we're going to be able to experience the fullness of that together in bodies that are made to live in that space beautiful picture of what our existence will be like. If we have this idea of our, of our salvation just being purely spiritual and going up into heaven, we miss it. John Piper says this, he says, Christianity is not a platonic religion that regards material things as mere shadows of reality, which will be slewed off as soon as possible or sloughed off as soon as possible. Uh, not the mere immortality of the soul, but rather the resurrection of the body and the renewal of all creation is the hope of the Christian. So we're meant to have this embodied existence. Uh, the next question is like, is what, what is the context of that? What, what are we gonna be doing? Where are we gonna be? What, what are we gonna do with this new renewed body? Uh, it, it's not gonna be just floating around in nothing. There, there is, is somewhere where its feet are going to be on the ground. And this is where we have a theology right from the Old Testament through the New Testament that understands that God is gonna take creation and redeem it and make it new. There's a new heaven and a new earth. We don't just see this in Revelation uh, chapter 21. It's not something picked from that one spot. It's something that we see uh, in the Old Testament. We see it, of course, in the, in the creation story that God intended for creation to be long-lasting and glorious and beautiful. And when the fall came, that's when ugliness and sin and death entered in. So we see it all the way back in Genesis. And there's a few glimmers of it uh, in the Psalms. Uh, we go to Isaiah 65, 17, Behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth. Further in Isaiah 66, 22, For just as the new heavens and the new earth, which I made, will endure before me, so your offspring and your name will endure. Amen. So your offspring and your name will endure. I'm making a new heavens and a new earth, and they will endure. And you will endure, and your offspring will endure in that space. Uh, looking at Romans chapter 8, 18 to 23. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Creation is waiting for your resurrection. 
There's something in creation that is awaiting and watching uh, for this to happen. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. That's a point, uh, a little nod back to what happened again in the book of Genesis uh, with the fall of man and the curse that came and the purpose in that curse to ultimately lead us to a place of redemption. Um, for creation was subjected not to uh, to futility, not willingly, because of him who subjected sorry because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. This is Paul looking at it and saying, this resurrection that we're about to be experiencing, heaven is looking in on that. God is looking on that. Creation is looking on that and saying, I can't wait for that to happen to the sons and daughters of God, to the children of God, because I know that that is what is about to happen to me. I know that is what is about to happen. I'm to be set free from bondage to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. First dust. And then the coming of the new heaven and the new earth and creation. God is making something new. And then we get to Revelation 21. And again, for the sake of time, we've skipped over so much in the scriptures. But Revelation 21, 1 to 5 reads like this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Behold, I am making all things new. The new heaven and the new earth come. The old passes away. The holy city Jerusalem comes. But the feature, the great feature of all of this, the the purpose of all of this, the beauty at the heart of all of this is in this phrase, um, I will be with them. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they will be his people. It's about bringing people together with their creator. And in that whole beautiful context of of a place in which we have an embodied existence in a newly recreated world is about having a place to dwell with God. Uh, We see this in verse 22 in Revelation 21. And I saw no temple in this city, for its temple is the Lord and the Almighty in the land. There's no need for a place of linkage. There's no need for a place to go make sacrifice. There's no need to go to one place that is more holy than the other places to somehow get to that place where God is, where you can sort of maybe peer uh, through the veil and somehow see him up there somewhere. He is dwelling on earth with men and women. The city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives its light. 
and its lamp is the lamb. A nod to what was accomplished through the cross. And all of this for us. This is our hope. This is our hope. This is the incredible existence that God has planned for us. This is the incredible beauty that God has planned for his creation. Now, what is that going to be like for you? I don't know. I imagine I'm going to be able to drive a golf ball at least a kilometer. I don't know. The greens will be perfect. I don't know. I, I don't think it's about my pleasures. I don't think it's about your pleasures. Uh, what we're going to look at uh, a little bit down the road in the, in the subsequent uh, uh, next week is we're going to look at what it actually means to believe this, what it means to understand that. It's not about just looking to a place of paradise to go and to be. Uh, we want to see that there's something significant about understanding this. And we can just look at that next slide for a second, Christina. Um, there's a question for us of how is this new heaven and new earth breaking through now? How is this place that is yet to come affecting us now? How is our understanding of it affecting us now? Uh, and we're going to spend some time on this next week, but the first thing we see, the first place we obviously see it breaking through is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection that came before all of the other resurrections. And what does that say to us about how we live our life now? And then the next question is, what does, how does what we do here actually matter there? Because remember, this isn't just about escape. This isn't, isn't about a life that is completely disconnected. We live this way now, and somehow we have a hope that we're going to escape and get to that place that's better. It's not about that. There is meant to be a linkage. There's meant to be an understanding of how these things go. Uh, in 1 Corinthians, we see Paul uh, teaching on sexuality and how we treat our bodies and how we keep ourselves healthy in that way. And in doing that, he points for some reason to the resurrection as the reason for this. How does what I do with my physical body now impact our future in the resurrection. How does that all work? And that's what we're going to talk about next week. But I'm going to leave us with just this little exhortation about our bucket list. Don't live. What this, what this all says to us is that we don't want to live for our bucket list. You don't want to live to get the last drop out of this life as though it's all there is. That can't be what our lives are about, uh, extracting as much pleasure from this time on earth here as it is. The coming of the resurrection, uh, the coming of the new heaven and the new earth tells us that there's actually more to be gained on the other side than what we experience personally for ourselves here. It's not about taking things into ourselves now. It's not about consuming. It's not about making our life here and now uh, better. A time is coming. If you're, it's on your bucket list to see the Rockies, a time is coming when the Rockies are going to be rockier. There's a time coming when the sky is going to be clearer. There's a time coming when whatever natural wonder you see now and you imagine as beauty and your heart swells at the glory of God that you see revealed in creation, a time is coming when it will be so much more glorious. So don't live to fill yourself with that as beautiful and wonderful as it is now and enjoy it when you do see it. 
Enjoy it and see the glory of God when you experience it now and enjoy it on your vacations and enjoy it on your holidays. But don't live for it. This time that we have now is a time for emptying our buckets. This is a time for pouring out our lives so that we have a greater experience of the resurrection in the future and so that we can take more of our friends with us. Matthew 19, 27 to 30 says this, and this is how Jesus saw it all working together. See, we have left everything and follow you. This is one of the disciples speaking to Jesus. See, we've left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, in the new world, in the new creation, is the word he uses in the, in the Greek, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will see, receive a hundredfold and will inherit life. This is a time for emptying out our buckets. In this world, in this creation, this is a time for us to have an eye on what's coming. This is a place to live lavishly and generously, spending and pouring out our lives. For the sake of that is what, what's to come. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Community Church, visit ovcchurch.ca.